Welcome back to Footsteps in the Attic. I am so happy to have my guest on tonight because he is returning from, I think his last appearance was a couple months ago, and I had such positive feedback that we had to bring him back. And I have to tell you, I finally had the opportunity to go to this gentleman's store in Fairfield, Ohio, the toy department, and it is quite literally the best toy store I've ever been to in my life. They like you could get lost in there and be totally fine with that because you will spend all day hunting through your childhood, pointing at everything, saying, I had that, I had that, I had that. And when I tell you the range is absolutely insane. So I want you all to welcome my buddy, Kenny Kepnick, back to the show, the manager of the toy department. Kenny, how you doing tonight? Uh, well, I mean, after such a rousing introduction as that, uh, how can I be doing anything less than fantastic? <laughs> Thank you, my man. I meant every word of that that is that was the best you saw i went in there kenny happened to be in there he did not know i was coming and i was like jittery i didn't know where to look i didn't know where to start and i felt like i was you know under the gun because like my buddy bobby you know, made a special trip to so i could visit the store and i was like i can't i can't bullet shop this there's too much to look at how am i like where do i start Dude, thank you for <laughs> the experience that you provided for me because that store is so well laid out and organized. I mean, you just must, even though you work there, you must just love walking in those doors every day. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty exciting. Um, even even now, sometimes though, with the new space, I'm, 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 I find myself like, man, I'm, we're actually here. You know, and I walk around, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that our thoughts here came together. And like, you know, we just did like a real big pack out of the Transformers aisle this week. And I walk <laughs> down the aisle and I'm just like, like, I'm, I'm not trying to have an ego about this, but holy cannoli, this is incredible. Like this aisle looks awesome. Like, oh, it did. <laughs> the whole you know, store is like that. The whole store. Oh, you. you you have it organized perfectly, whatever you're into. You know, you, you turn one aisle, it's all Transformers. You turn another, you have Thundercats. You turn another one, you have Ghostbusters. You turn another one, you have Star Wars. Like, any child of the 70s, 80s, 90s through today will just get lost in that place. <laughs> and they're not going to want to be found. Yeah, it's uh, we get a lot, of, uh, a lot of positive feedback about the, the organization. But some of my favorite compliments are the the people who come from out of town like yourself and they'll be like, I spent an hour there. I spent, you know, I, we were there for two hours like, Yeah, and I'm like, wow, it's crazy that, you know, sort of my sleepless nights and, and the sleepless nights of our team, uh, you know, built out a place that again, you know, people are taking detours on their road trips to come visit and they're, you know, spending that time in there and stuff. It's, it's a, a crazy, like a sort of pinch yourself kind of experience. I, I have the sticker on my car to the store and I'm going to talk about my purchases in a minute with you because there's no way I was walking out of that store without some additions to my collection. But the first question I have for you is you mentioned the move. How do you move 
such valuable inventory because I consider all those things treasures. Like, what is that process like? How did you, you know, how long did it take from the old store to the new store? It was months long and incredibly painstaking. I mean, so the the reality of this situation was that once we had a a start date that a target date to hit to open, we really started pricing, you know, the majority of new product to go out, we would put in the new store. So we, we fudged a little bit, right? We were going from a, like a 2,500 square foot space to somewhere between six and seven. So we knew that we were going to need more inventory than was in the current store. So we spent a good couple months just pricing, you know, 60 or 70% of the stuff that came through the store we would put in the new store and then we would try to keep the old store full so that we could pay the bills, of course. And then, then when it was go time, about a month from grand opening, we started shifting things and, um, we actually closed on July 4th for the holiday. And then our whole team plus I think four other volunteers, uh, friends of ours came down at the crack of dawn and started, you know, bubble wrapping and bagging things out of the display cases and emptying the display cases. And then, um, we were loading display cases into the van and driving them down the street and it was, a and then, you know, hooking the display cases back up. And, and then it was just, you know, after that, it was a couple boxes every day and, you know, it was just, I mean, we opened the doors of the new store that probably a third of the old store was still left behind that we just, you know, cause we, we didn't have a day off in between. We were, open on Friday at the old store. We turned the lights off, closed up Saturday morning, boom, open in the new spot. So wow. we didn't even have it all out by the time we moved, but the other place, the new place was pretty full and we were ready to go. So does it feel good to have it now? You know, you're fully moved in and in the new space. It was that it was, did you feel like you have a little bit of serenity now? <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't, you don't realize, I think probably how much it, is just hovering over everything until yeah like now that the doors are open it was that it was like the day after the grand opening where i was down there and it was like oh like it's open it's running it is what it is right the trains left the station obviously we got to keep it full we got to keep people coming back but like the hard part's done we got you know yeah we got people in the door the roof didn't fall in like you know all of the the stress of that it was again it was i mean every bit of seven months probably building that place and to have it all come to a head like that was, was really satisfying. And what was that store prior to you moving in? Do you know? I, I've... Yeah. So we actually know the entire history of it because our landlord is the guy that built it 35 years ago to open a Harley Davidson dealership. At. I had a feeling. Okay. I thought I saw something on the building itself that, that, Okay, I'm glad to know that. Shields. <laughs> yes. Shields, they put they put uh, shields on uh, stucco. Uh, there's shields in the stucco on the side of the building, and we haven't done anything with that. Um, but yeah, the, the gentleman sold the sold the company a couple of years ago, retired, but kept the building. And then they wanted to add on, and the city said no, so they built an insane building a couple miles away. And uh, the building was open one day. You know, we've been shopping for a couple months to find a spot, and Chris ran up the load up, up the road one day to pick up lunch and he, you know, he calls me and he's like, man, you remember that Harley dealership that we were like, man, that would make a great storefront. It's for lease. So like we left our food at the, at the store to get cold and we ran up the road and started peeking in the windows and looking at the place. <laughs> and 
you know, it's great because it was a, you know, he's a small business, you know, a guy who built his Harley dealership 35 years ago and doesn't want to sell the building because he doesn't want a corporation to buy it and tear it down. And yeah. He went from selling, you know, a building that sold one kind of toy and we're another small business sells another kind of toy. Well said. Well yeah. said. And the rest is toy history because it worked out perfectly. Right. <laughs> so I have to ask you, I... And everybody out there, I am telling you, you have to physically go into this store. What I love about the philosophy of the toy department is they're not an online merchant. It's like an attraction. You have to go in, you make your purchases inside, and I promise you it is worth, No, I don't care where you live, it is worth the hike to get there because they have things you're never going to see in any other toy store. And one thing I, well, first of all, I walked out with a Buck Rogers, a rare sealed Buck Rogers, 1979 doll, which I had tweaky to go with them. So, I mean, perfect. The timing, I saw that in the box. I was like, all right, that's coming home. You had every ghostbusters figure anybody could ever want. And then I look in your prototypes case and I saw, Something that blew my mind. You had a first shot prototype of Egon from the Ecto Glow series. And from, you know, for those out there who aren't familiar, the Ecto Glow was probably the rarest toy line in the Ghostbusters line because it was the last, the very last line in the Ghostbusters, you know, toy line. So you have the first shot prototype. You also had Batman first shot prototypes. You had Indiana Jones. Uh, Flash Gordon. I mean, first of all, I should ask you, for the benefit of those who are not familiar, what exactly is a first shot prototype? <laughs> so they would uh, they would run uh, when well not they would because they still do it um, once they have the the molds and the the tooling for uh, a figure they will run some plastic through the molds to make sure that. Um, you know, that everything works and that everything comes out as it is. And there's various degrees of them where sometimes they'll be in production colors. Sometimes they're non-production colors. Sometimes they're, um, they're, they're closer to the, the full on production figure. Sometimes they're just sort of blank colors, but it's just a part of the part of the process that they do where they're testing the, uh, testing the design of the figure and the production of the figure to make sure that everything's safe before they run, two to 10,000 of them through the molds. Incredible. And I, I'm proud to say I, I walked out with one of those molds. I walked out with Egon and I know there's going to be people listening, wondering how you get your hands on, on molds like this. And I know obviously you don't use names, but <laughs> how does your store acquire these molds? Well, so like, like the rest of our, almost all of our inventory, it's all secondhand um, and it's all, you know, stuff that we buy from uh, sort of the general public, right? Sometimes it's collectors, sometimes it's family members of people who've had things. So in the instance of a lot of our prototypes, um, we being in the Cincinnati area, there were tons of people who worked at Kenner and a lot of employees took stuff home or gave stuff to family members and things like that. So we see a lot of prototype stuff come directly from family members. Now I did specifically inquire about the Egon because I knew that you were curious. Yes. Um, and, uh, that came from a friend of ours, uh, in part of a trade and he got it from a, 
known Kenner employee. So that's phenomenal. Wow. So I, and I'm honored to own it. Uh, it's going to remain in, in a little case along with my, the rest of my Ecto glow stuff. And, and Kenny, I want to thank you for just the care I got in the store, your knowledge, phenomenal. And, and, and all the employees there are, are so great. They know what they're talking about. So if you have a question, ask in the store and trust me, someone's going to know. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. We've built out a really, really good team of people with a, with a really wide knowledge range throughout the hiring process. That's always been one of the things we've considered is like, well, what does this person know that we don't so that they can strengthen us as a whole. But I do wow. want to circle back. Yeah. Uh, you were talking Please. about the ectoglow line and I feel like we need to, I feel like we kind of slept on what makes those figures so cool. Please. I mean, it's in the name yes. a little bit, Yes. but it's not, yeah, it's not just the, the you know, they glow in the dark. Hell <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't, Kenny, you're probably like me. I'm a sucker for glow in the dark. If it says glow Absolutely. in the dark, I am probably going to be purchasing it. Absolutely. I have a half a shelf in one of my display cases, uh, and I have LED strip lighting. And every time I turn the lights off in the room, <laughs> that half of my shelf glows. Cause... That is badass, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always had a soft spot for those ecto glows, but it's like it's implied in the name, and most people might get it. But I really feel like we need to circle back and uh, talk no. about how awesome it is that they made glow in the dark Ghostbuster figures. And, and no, no. And you're awesome for reminding me to you know, expand on that because of course, yes, there are people out there listening right now who don't know. So now they're going to look that up and go, ah, oh my God, I need yeah. some of this in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, very, I, uh, very great stuff. I actually just ordered to the super seven Mars attacks figures, which also glow. They kind of remind me of the ecto glow line. So anybody out there might want to look those up too. Super cool. Yeah, those just got announced. Yeah. You will, yeah, you'll love them. You'll love the look of them. So, yeah, which actually, we, you know, I've, you know, side tangent, I've also been like, Super 7 seems like they would tackle Ghostbusters pretty well. Thank you. Yeah, Kenny, you know what? That's so great. We need to like nudge them right. and make this happen. Yeah, just, uh, just, you know, because they'll do the regular figures and then when they got to do the repaints later, Ecto Glow. And then you can get modern ectoglow figures to go with the vintage ones. And I oh think everybody God. needs that. <laughs> oh, you just blew my mind. All right. I'm tagging them in this interview. We, we need, we, they, they have to hear that. And Kenny's getting Brian the credit. Uh, <laughs> Brian Flynn's a cool guy. So I feel like he's pretty receptive for it. So, all right, Kenny, you're getting some royalties if they make that. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> cut, cut Kenny a check. If you do it, super seven, <laughs> 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 Kenny, I got, I actually have a, had a listener question for you. Mike asked if you had a blank check, what is your Holy grail toy to buy just for you, just for your collection, man. Um, that's kind of, it's, and it's tough. Um, yeah. If you need a minute you know, to think on it, that's cool too. I know that's a hard question. No, I mean like, so it's kind of, you know, because I, I, so I'm character specific. I collect, you know, certain characters, Green Arrow, Blue Cape, Lando, Ninja Force, Zartan, things like that. So like, you know, I'll, there's a bit of like, I almost need a genie to go along with the blank check because I don't <laughs> know if like for say, say for instance, the wax sculpt that Kenner used for Blue Cape Lando exists, you know? Uh, like, yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. Or a, uh, 
you know, a, a vintage Lando hard copy. Um, you know, there, there's, you know, at this point, I think my, uh, my collecting has gotten to a point where I would probably abuse that blank check and go after something <laughs> absolutely insane. I know the guy who, who has the Ninja Force Zartan 2 up. And maybe I could, uh, you know, with a blank check, I could probably pry that out of his hand. Oh, you that, need that. That actually be the target. That, I could totally see that. This man, Kenny, has a <laughs> phenomenal, I've seen it, phenomenal Zartan and Green Arrow, Green Arrow collection. Like a very impressive collection. There's actually a, a little fun side story about that um, uh, Ninja Force Zartan 2-up. A couple of years ago, it went up for auction on a website. And a buddy of mine sent it to me and said, Hey, like you need this. And the opening bid was $500. And yeah. as far as I knew at the time, two ups were, you know, vintage GI Joe two ups were anywhere from $2,000 to $20,000, depending on the character. And this isn't a well-loved character, but I'm like, well, I'm not even going to bother bidding on it. Cause at minimum, you know, it's going to pull 1500, $2,000. And I don't, I don't have that on me. And, you know, so I let it go. And, he was the only person who bid on it. You're <laughs> kidding me. He won it for $500. You're cheapest, kidding me. Cheap, yeah. Incredible. Now it turned out, like I said, I ended up knowing the guy who won it and he definitely would have outbid me. So all I would have done was cost my friend more money. But <laughs> <laughs> it was still just the principle of like, there was probably about a year there where I'm like, I let it slip through my finger for only $500. <laughs> well, here's something how I knew we were going to be friends, Kenny, because your favorite character in GI Joe is also mine, which is Zartan. So I was very impressed when I knew you had a collection dedicated to Zartan. I'm also trying to get the Dreadnoughts because I love the original three Dreadnoughts, but Zartan was my man. <laughs> Absolutely. Such a such a great design and, and yeah. it's been a really fun character over the years. I mean, the figure changed color. I mean, come on. Right. I'd never... Like, that was phenomenal to me. I remember when I first got it, I was like, this is the coolest figure I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, you know, color changing or glow in the dark, you know, those toy gimmicks that existed in the 80s and 90s, those like those elevated toys to another level when they had it. I mean, so how can you not be drawn to it? Thank exactly. And um, I'm actually, you brought up something I want you to explain to people. I know we talked about that on the last show, but explain a two up for people that may not understand. <clears throat> so the, the two up would be a, um, I guess a double the size ish version of a figure that they use to make sure that they had the, the detail on the sculpt right and that everything was there and then they would scale it down to the size you know so like i don't know the exact height of a two up because i've never held one in hand but um i've seen plenty of them and i want to say they're like they're like eight to twelve inches sometimes i mean i guess the gi joe's 3.75 so if it's a two up they're probably around that eight inch mark but yeah they're really fun there's a there's a group called gi joe declassified and they set up at various shows around the country. The biggest one they do is Joe Fest. And they set up a booth at the show, which they present it like a museum. You're not allowed to take pictures, but people will bring incredible, like Holy Grail level pieces from their personal collection and put them on display just so that people can learn about the history of the line. And I want to say it was the last Joe Con in like 2018. They brought an insane number of two ups and two up heads. And it was incredible to just walk through and see all this history wow that's 
Wow. That, that is, that already makes me jealous hearing of that event. I wish I could have been there. That sounds so cool. I think, I think they come out to, uh, NJCC and, um, the cherry, cherry capital. Okay. Right. Jersey. It's on the other side of the, it's on the other side of the Pennsylvania border. Yeah. uh, From Philly. So, um, if I ever hear that they're going to be up at that show, I'll have to give you a little heads up so you can, stop out and see what they bring i appreciate that my man that's another great thing about kenny he is great for tips so thank you kenny (laughs) (laughs) uh i have a actually man kenny there's a lot of questions for you um amy asks if the toy department will ever produce an in-store exclusive line now that's i mean that would be awesome but also probably a headache on the production end of it (laughs) yeah um we have talked before about maybe doing like a retailer exclusive with one of our wholesale partners. Um, you know, some of these indie lines like boss fight studios or premium DNA or, um, Spiro, you know, these different companies that are producing independent toy lines and, you know, the same challenge that we come to with that comes to with us sort of producing our own toy line, which is, it would severely limit, a customer base and when you're talking about needing to do a minimum run on figures of like 2000 um you know again first off it's hard because you know the only way to buy the line would be to come in store which would be tough and then the flip side of that is there's always a black market for people that you know can't make it in and then we, we would create a culture of people just coming in and buying our figures to then go scalp them on ebay to people who can't make the drive you know right. um, good point you know so in the event that that we ever diversified into something like that we would have to create an online solution for it um but there are, are currently no plans to to produce our own figures <laughs> yeah no i get it i get it because that's a whole i mean you know it sounds great but that involves a lot of time a lot of resources uh, and uh, I mean, you're just focusing on getting your store where it needs to be. So I totally understand. And supporting all of these great indie creators out there too. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really fun to, to be, I mean, I've consulted on a couple of them and we've been on the ground floor of a lot of them and we've, we've been customers and supporters of these lines over the years. And it's like, there's so much other, great minds putting out independent toys right now that I don't, you know, we would have to have a really special idea to, to want to jump into that field and compete. Yeah. Oh no. I, I completely understand your reasons for it. I don't blame any of you. Um, and plus you're, you know, you're all kind of busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got to figure out how to keep this place full still. You know, (laughs) um, Here's a question for you. Micah asks if there's ever been a, and this is kind of interesting, a knockoff toy line more valuable than the original. And I, I, you know, there's a couple knockoff lines that, that I know I have like the spook chasers by sun gold, which are knockoffs of ghostbusters. They're pretty valuable because they're rare. And I know the warrior beasts line, which sort of took off he man, some of those can run pretty high, but what are there any that come to your mind off the top of your head? Yeah. So the, um, you know, I think the lines as a whole, it gets tough, right? Cause most of the mass produced lines are going to be, um, 
you know, just higher number, higher variety of characters, things like that. So using He-Man as the example, right, and Warrior Beasts, but probably more notably um, uh, Sun Man, okay, which, yes. Mattel, which Mattel recently partnered with. Um, but back in the day, it was a sort of, you know, cousin line. Mattel wasn't involved, and it was another company that, that made that. And then similarly was, a, I think the character's name is Skull Man. Yes, I, I have yeah. t- I have two of those. Oh, that's a great <laughs> yeah, and, and actually uh, Zolo, who's doing uh, Zolo World, who puts on Zolo Con, which is happening this weekend as we're talking, um, he produces like modern Warrior Beast style figures, and he's done a couple Skull Man figures in his line too. But um, but anyways, the uh, yeah, let's say like Skull Man and Sun Man are you know pretty significantly more expensive than a lot of like masters of the universe lines right or uh, figures you know like he probably gets beat out by i mean definitely gets beat out by wonder bread he-man maybe beat out by um scareglow i'm trying to remember some but you know they're in the ballpark so those are good examples um you know the a lot of the international bootleg star wars figures yes are really expensive like the I think they call them the Uze Blue Stars. Which yes. Are, yeah, those are those are wild. But again, I think a lot of that also comes down to Kenner was making tens of thousands of these Star Wars figures, and these bootleg companies were probably barely making a couple thousand of them. And so it is, as you said earlier, right, where their their value comes in that they're more rare, and that's probably just because they were significantly fewer of them made, and then they weren't bought by people here right exactly yeah anything international is going to be desired here because of that exactly um, yeah it's uh that's you know so those those examples are probably the the better ones i mean there's there's some star wars bootlegs from around the world that you know um i've only seen a handful of times so now is is uh, actually there was a question. Laura asked if your store would buy bootlegs. Do you has your store ever come across? Is that something they would sell? Well, so that is a complicated question um, because if you brought us in Uze Blue Stars, we would absolutely buy them. Right, right. Like so, bootleg is in the eye of the beholder in that regard. We're like we're not buying reproduction weapons for vintage star Wars figures or for vintage He-Man figures or for vintage Ghostbusters. Right. Like, right. Um, and we're not buying modern bootlegs of those figures, like from Stan Solo or has no talent or they're making sort of, they call them customs, but they're yes. bootlegs, you know, famously black major has been bootlegging GI Joe for years where he does sometimes they're repaints, <clears throat> but a lot of times he'll do straight, straight on paints of vintage GI Joe figures. And, you know, so we're not, we're not buying those and putting those out. And the handful of times that we do, they're clearly marked as being a, a black major figure. Um, right. Right. But when you get into the vintage bootlegs, I mean, we call them bootlegs, but warrior beasts and, you know, the Rimco bootlegs are considered their own line. And Uze blue stars are now considered their own line. We had some, uh, some Mexican bootleg star Wars figures. They may have actually been out in the case when you were there, but they were like, there'd be like three really, really poorly painted Kenner Star Wars figures <laughs> right. bagged up together with like a cardboard header, like stapled <laughs> to the bag or sealed to the bag or whatever. Right. And they're terrible. I mean, there, you know, there was a, a skiff guard Lando that was painted Caucasian and all sorts of weird colors. <laughs> oh and, yeah. I mean, 
you know, so <laughs> again, bootlegs in the eye of the beholder, you know, there's a dozen companies making sort of bootleg or third party transformers. Um, and some of those we do, I guess the, the, the difference would be between, I guess, trying to find that, that line between bootleg and counterfeit. You yeah. Know? Oh, completely. Um, God, there's so many questions for you. Uh, Matt asks, what is the safest way to clean Star Wars and Motu figures? Uh, when it comes to cleaning uh, anything vintage, we rarely go beyond Windex and a paper towel or Windex mm-hmm. and a toothbrush. You know, gently going at it with a toothbrush if you need to. Um, generally, Dawn soap and water are okay, especially if you've got something really grody. And you need to give them a warm, a warm bath. That's pretty good. Um, <clears throat> there are people out there who will recommend all sorts of other things. That people who sell special chemicals. There's people who claim to have tricks to whiten your yellowed figures. Um, in our experience, a lot of those don't quite work as advertised and can sometimes damage the figures. So we tend to not go much further than than Windex or a dish soap. Yeah, I don't blame you because these are, you know, they're uh, a lot of times they're older. You don't know what a chemical, how that's going to react on on a paint, and so you're just, you know, err on the side of caution. Do the do the minimal, and I think that is the right way to go. Well, you know, a lot of people they'll get something in really bad condition and hope that they can turn it around and increase the value, whether that's for personal preference or for financial gain, and. You know, unfortunately, everything has a cost, and so it's like, yeah, you can um, you can whiten some yellow figures, but it rarely lasts, and it can often break down the plastic. Um, I don't know if we talked before uh, in the last episode about Sky Striker canopies and like Shira um, uh, Pegasus wings, mm-hmm. but like <clears throat> at forty years old, those plastics are starting to break down a little bit, and a lot of times those will stink when we get them, right? because of the plastic breaking down and you know even in the moment we don't know what sort of strange chemicals you introduce to that toy could have on that 40 year old plastic in another five years and so better safe than sorry very well said um here's one i think you'll like and i'm actually curious about this too ivan asks why did some toy lines come out with different figures in europe than in the united states it could be the same exact toy line, but different figures somewhere else. Well, so I think the the most famous example for that is probably G.I. Joe. Yeah. Um, with their Action Force counterpart over there. And I think the question, the answer to that question is generally either because of the culture of that country or because of, because it was a different company running it. So okay. like, Hasbro didn't run um, G.I. Joe in Europe. It was a company called Palatoy. And so they were doing their own thing and they were marketing it to a different audience, you know, especially in today's world. It's easy to think of everybody as a global culture. But back in the 80s, that was not the case. And some people were more maybe pro-gun. Other people were maybe more like, we don't want military, we want aliens, you know, or, we, you know, we want these different different things work better for different cultures. And, you know, so Palatoy was trying to make a product to sell to kids in the UK 
um, not kids in America. So they took, you know, what they had and they tweaked it. Um, you had that with the companies down in South America or was it a phone school in India, right? Like they were, right. you know, they would have the molds for GI Joes, but they were painting them in the, you know, either the colors they had on hand or the colors they thought would sell to their customer base. So it wasn't like, you know, the, the Hasbro guys were sitting in Rhode Island and deciding, well, we're going to make this for the UK kids and we're going to make this for the American kids. We're going to make this for the uh, Argentinian kids and we're going to make this for the Indian kids. It was like, no, <laughs> right. just, they, they were all different companies. Um, and that's, was it the uh, Secret Wars? Yeah, Secret Wars had, or no, it's, um, yeah, Secret Wars has a couple of European figures. Yeah. That one, that one, I don't, that's a good question. I actually don't know why they only got those there. Right. Um, but then um, you had the Super Amigos line was by Pasipa instead of Kenner. And so that was going to be similar to like a Palatoy situation where they were doing their own thing for their own customers. Yeah. And I remember WCW Galoob had some in Europe, in the UK that were different than came out. I think they had the Freebirds and a figure called Big Josh and a Sting that was different than what was released here. So it's, oh, it was yeah. very I interesting. Think, I think the Hasbro, I think there's a, a WWF Hasbro that was, might've been a mail away exclusive over there too. Um, You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually be, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, you kind of got, that's a really good question now. It's got me thinking about some of the, <laughs> the less obvious examples like those where it is like, you know, well, Hasbro was doing the wrestlers. As far as I know, they were doing those everywhere. So I'll have to, I'll have to ask around about that. Maybe next time around I can yeah, that'd uh, be great. Have, a, have a better answer. <laughs> well, you know, kind of piggybacking on this topic, I remember um, the, Sergeant Slaughter, when he was in G.I. Joe, they came out with an LJN-like figure of Sergeant Slaughter that conveniently you could play with your LJN figures. And... I always wondered how they were able to market that because they really did push it as an LJN wrestler, even though it technically wasn't. It wasn't put out by Titan Sports at the time. But that, it that was, I think it was the only figure like that, that they yeah that they made too. So it was like very obvious what they were trying to do, right? And and very sought after by collectors today. That is another figure that is not cheap. <laughs> yeah, still, still still very desirable. Yeah, it's um. You know, just people wanted to to slot in, like you said, with those LJNs. Yeah. And that had that had, um, as I recall, that had something to do with um, Sarge's exclusivity rights. With yes. Um. Yeah. With with where he was signed, when, and and what they were allowed to do. Because as I recall, LJN had a slaughter figure in production. Yes, you're right. They yeah, did. It was in it was in pre production, and then uh, it did not. It did not follow through. That's exactly what it was. You're right. See, Kenny knows. <laughs> Here, yeah, but, you know, still learning every day. Here's a fun one. I, I'm very curious about this too. Jeff asks, "What is the largest or most expensive purchase you've seen in the store, and was it Matt Cardona?" <laughs> oh, uh, Matt was Matt was great, and uh, his his. Uh, purchases were very much appreciated. Um, <laughs> he did not. He does not hold the record. Though. Oh wow! Okay. Um, sorry, sorry, say, Matt. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh... Is, is there any any that stick out in your mind, or is that something you 
you have to mull over for a minute. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely oh, that's a that's a deep one. I got to comb through like five and a half years here. Yeah, see, uh, yeah. I might have to to think on that for a minute and see if one. I mean, my comes my. Back. This is just a guess. My guess would it would either be like an entire line of something or one of those prototypes that is like extremely hard to get. That's the only thing I could, you know, that would come to my mind. Like, yeah, like a single purchase is probably, uh, would probably be one of the prototype sales mm-hmm. and it probably beats the records for like, cause very, like honestly, Cardona might be the, the only time that someone's really come in and gone that ham on one line. <laughs> but, I, I remember that. It was like your entire Star Wars case. Yeah. yeah, he decided in that moment to get into vintage Star Wars, and he's like, I'm just going to get a giant chunk of the run right now. Um, but the, uh, you know, but we do get quite a few people who do very large piles of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's been a couple of those. Um, Which I get it. Cause there have definitely been prototype pieces that have sold in the, uh, in the five digit range, um, that probably hold the, the single item. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of, not, there's not a lot of production figures that are worth, you know, that kind of money. Right. And I understand because, you know, you walk out of that store and then you're thinking about it and you're going, you know what? I'm never going to see anything like that again. So, you know, it's, you have to go back because I'll tell you what, that store is magical. So I understand anybody going in there and spending a full day and also spending a fortune because you're, you're reclaiming your childhood. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, the, the genesis behind the name toy department was the idea that all of these, all of our favorite toy stores are gone by the wayside for a number of reasons, but you know, and when we came up with the name, it was, you know, with the tagline, your favorite childhood destination was back. And the idea was to create a destination that people could come to that would make them feel like they were, you know, kids walking into the awesome toy stores that we all remember. And listen, they probably weren't as awesome as we remember them as, right? Everything's through the the tinted glasses of an eight-year-old, you know, but we wanted to create a modern version that would, would hopefully bring people that same kind of feeling and you know, and that, that's funny. People that's they, a... When people get frustrated that we don't ship, one of the things I say is, you know, I hope that one day you have the opportunity to visit and see what we've built and yeah. people seem to appreciate it when they get to, you know what? It's so true. And I love that answer because that's exactly the feeling I had in there. And, um, I was with my buddy Bobby and he is not a toy collector per se, but he was having a ball in there. He was running around going, I had this, I had that. I had this, and he told me when we got out, he said, I had so much fun. He said, I, I loved every minute of that. He, and he even said, thank you for, for wanting to go there because it put him in a, just a great mood, you know, and that's what your store does. So if you're even a moderate toy collector, you got to go in there. I'm telling you, it is worth the trip. <laughs> well, we, we appreciate that. You know, I definitely noticed like he was enjoying himself a lot like the questions he had and you know he'd ask me about this line or that line and yeah and uh he you know i've gotten over the five and a half years we've been going i get used to seeing that like sort of wide-eyed wonder look that he kind of had where yes kind of like the interest unlocking like if we talk in a year and you say turns out he decided he was going to start collecting this line no he will he will i guarantee you he will (laughs) 
And that's <laughs> because it's what you just said. It's like, for me, that's like walking into Toys R Us again, like walking into Kitty City, like walking into, you know, that KB toy store you had when you were a kid and you had that you got those goosebumps. That's what your store does. But on a on a larger scale <laughs> than any of those. Right. And that's, you know, <clears throat> without getting too into the weeds, it, it's not economically feasible for a lot of those stores to exist in that way anymore. And, you know, if we were if we were retailing online, it would fundamentally change change what we have as well. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's really heartening when people do visit and appreciate. And I understand being frustrated. I've had people who have put things out for sale that I want and I can't get it either because it's sold or because they won't, you know, they're not willing to ship it. And that's, you know, it's, that's how it goes. But, um, you know, we like to think that it's worth it in the end when people do come and visit and they, I think they get a grasp for, for why we do what we do. I perfectly said, perfectly said, my friend. Um, Roddy asks, why did toys from the 70s like Mego come with so many soft goods? And you don't see that as much anymore. That's interesting. Yeah, that is, um, you know, so Mego is back. Um, yeah. They're making modern figures. And you do have companies like Sideshow and Hot Toys who, who dabble in the soft goods stuff. And every once in a while, you'll see a company... Um, like Hasbro or Mattel will throw, you know, Mattel's gotten pretty regular with including like shirts and robes with their, with their wrestlers. But you are right. It, it is significantly less common. And I think, you know, like all things in capitalism, I think it comes down to price. Um, yeah. It was probably more comparable pricing wise to do soft goods back then um, than it is now. I know that, when people have done soft goods on modern figures, price is usually what it comes down to. There's a lot of like Marvel Marvel legends collectors who get very frustrated that Hasbro does plastic capes instead of cloth capes and, you know, or wired capes and, you know, cost is, it's probably just cheaper to have a machine, you know, do injecting injection molding plastic for a cape instead of having to deal with, the cutting of fabric and the stitching of fabric and the, the dyeing or the coloring or the, you know, things like that. Makes sense. No, thank you for that. That was a completely very well thought out <laughs> answer. So thank you for that. That, I think that answers the question fully, but I'm glad it came across. <laughs> That's off the cuff, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Dylan asks how many Star Wars toy lines there has been. There's been a lot. So, oh, I mean, how nerdy do we want to get here? I mean, like, because, you know, some people will consider the, you know, just let's just say four inch alone, right? Like, some people will consider, you know, different eras. It'll go vintage and then it'll go Power of the Force and then it'll go prequel era and then you'll get like, post revenge of the Sith, there's like two or three, but in reality you can go, you know, you can consider the vintage, the vintage line. Right. And then maybe right. you consider power of the force to be a little different. Right. And then do you consider Ewoks and droids to be different lines? Right. Or are they the same because they're the same style figure? Um, you know, yeah. modern four inch from like power of the force on there's probably, 
seven distinct kind of eras of lines where there might be some cross-pollination, but those are just figures. And then you get into micro machines and action fleet right. and, and hot wheels and bendoms. And I mean, when yeah. you're, you can you're go down a rabbit hole with those yeah. Yeah. <laughs> full picture, a hundred plus, you know, cause you got to consider Funko pops and fig pins and you know, all of the other sort of, you know, what's the, what's the Hasbro one? Oh, Mighty Mugs. Yeah. And, uh, Vinylmations from Disney and Kubrick's and, um, I mean, you know, you got the, what was the, oh, the old vintage diecast line. Oh micro, my God. I know exactly. Mi- Is it, the, it's micro something micro, yeah. not micro machines. It's micro. It was before micro. Machines. Yeah, it was. Um, I know exactly what you're talking uh, about too. And I don't know the name either. I'm going to get fired for this. <laughs> you're not, you're not. <laughs> I think it's micro collection. I think is all it's called. Okay. Mike. Yeah. Well, anyway. we're going to go with that either way. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 the short answer to the question is there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> um, Rachel asks, this is kind of funny. What was your least favorite toy line ever? Is there anything you hate, Kenny? Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, hate's an aggressive term. Or dislike would not I collect really, yourself. I really don't like Transformers. There you go. Boom. There's an honest answer. You know, it doesn't help that growing up my first introduction was beast wars which i liked and then i yeah. found out that like there's this whole other thing but in general i don't really like toys that are puzzles yeah <laughs> like, you I know what like puzzles, I, i'm i'm with you I, I i i listen buddy i don't collect tra- i had some transformers when i was young but i don't collect them now so i get it i was the same way yeah i have i have two in my collection there's a third party Optimus Prime that transforms into a into a PlayStation, and uh, <laughs> and then and then another modern Transformer that a buddy of mine uh, did some work on, and I wanted to have one to kind of represent his work or whatever. But both of those, I had one of my coworkers transform for me. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. <laughs> That's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes for laughs, when I'm in there, I, I will refer to some of the Transformers. I'll be like. Is this the Voltron you're looking for? Or, uh, like, yeah, this, uh, are you talking about this Megazord? Just like, you sometimes you get like a little eye twitch from people where they're like, I don't know if this guy's messing with me or if he's stupid. No, <laughs> Vo- I'm a little of both, but that's okay. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm team Voltron too. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like pilotable robots. Not yes. Robots. Yes. There you go. <laughs> well said. Well said. <laughs> Um, let's see. I, I'm probably pronouncing this name wrong, but Harch asks, why don't companies do mail-aways anymore? Well, so again, probably, you know, the, the lazy answer is probably cost. Um, right. There are some that still do mail-aways. Um, I guess the secondary answer is probably because of the internet. Yeah. And that's like, what I was thinking. Yeah. So, at the end know? of the day, like, you know, all of our online pre-orders are kind of mail-away figures, but in the traditional, like, save your coupons and send it in with some money to get a figure, um, there is a new toy magazine. It's a, I think it's a, like, every other month publication called Toy Collector. Okay, right. And, you know, they, they feature a lot on industry news, and they do some retrospectives and things like that. But he actually did a, um, a mail-away program in the, the book where I think it's 
you know, for like three issues at a time or something like that, there's a coupon. And if you send in all three with X amount of money, you get access to an exclusive figure. Um, but I think the, the economic reality of it now is that buying habits have changed so much where it was a novel thing back in the day, but I suspect a couple companies probably had a few dud mail aways and then right. they were, they were left holding a thousand of a figure that they thought they would be able to, to, um, you know, sort of send away like they had done beforehand. Um, yeah. And you know, they probably just stopped doing it because people weren't participating as much. Totally. We've definitely bought like <clears throat> a case of 200 of a mail away figure, you know, that got sold to somebody at some point, you know, probably wholesale from a, from a, a distributor who was like, well, these haven't sold. I need to get rid of them. Give me this for it. And somewhere down the line, we've gotten a hold of it. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Think... So that's, you know, <clears throat> there's probably, you know, now it wasn't wonder bread, he man, but like, you know, could you imagine? Yeah. Cause it was, you know, it was clearly something that was less popular and didn't, didn't sell through, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool idea. Just logistically, it's probably hard to, hard to do because you either underproduce them and then you don't have enough to meet demand or then you overproduce them. And how do you strike that balance? It's a, it's a tough question. Right. And people don't use snail mail as much. You're not cutting out proofs of purchase, mailing them into the company. I mean, I remember doing that for like Admiral Akbar. You know, I remember being a kid mailing away for, for certain figures and you'd get yeah, excited. Yeah, absolutely. See? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's, it's, it probably, I, I time I get an opportunity to meet one of these older industry guys, I'll have to see what the back end motivation for it was because yeah. you know, they were companies, they were having fun, but they weren't doing, you know, was it a way for them to, to track how many people were, were, you know, was it a, was it a rough data collection kind of right. thing? Like that it it may day, have right? been. Yeah. The only way they could get feedback from customers to kind of get an idea. All right. Well, how many people are buying like one figure at a time versus like, 10 figures from the line or whatever. Maybe this was one of their ways to kind of track people early on. No, I think you're right. I think that's what it was. It's probably the, the dawn of that, of getting a mailing list. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I can't believe this. We've almost been an hour. So I'm going to have to whittle this down to two more questions for my man, Kenny, which also means we're going to have to have you back, Kenny, so we can do a part three, if you're Fair willing. Enough. Um, Kyle asked what your last purchase was for your private collection or your latest, I should say my most recent purchase for my personal collection was actually a, um, I have it over here. It was a QC sample for a power Rangers turbo triple action Ranger. So it was from like season six of power or season five of power Rangers. And it was a, it was a basically a flip head figure, like the, the original figures for mighty Morphin, but this one is carded and, uh, it has some QC notes on the back from the factory. And on the front, um, one of the American workers has circled the head and says like, it needs to represent the human head because it's, Oh, that's the, sick the ranger head and the production figures all have the human head showing. So it was a, a correction that they made one step into the, into the process. So that's, Oh, what a great piece. Yeah. Very, very fun. You know, very weird. Just a, just a little bit of history. 
No, I love that. Good answer. I'm glad that was your last one. That's a cool. Uh, that's a cool purchase to get, Kenny. <laughs> um, and finally, and this is business related. D asks, "Is the toy department open on Labor Day?" Ha-ha, the toy department <laughs> is on Labor Day. Oh, there we go. Lay yeah. it, lay it on me. What are the What are the hours? Eleven to seven, seven days a week. Nice and easy. Oh, that's that really is. Um, so, Kenny, can you give the address out for people out there who are in the Fairfield area? How do they find you? We're five nine six zero Dixie Highway in Fairfield, Ohio four five zero one four. Um, and you can check out our website, toydepartment.net, uh, you know, links to our Instagram and Facebook and stuff are there. You know, if you're curious, if you want to make the drive, you can shoot me some messages through there to see if we have something in particular that you're looking for, or you can browse some of the photos of stuff we've put out recently. Some of the videos we've posted just to get a, get a feel for the place. It won't quite do it justice, but it'll give you an idea what you can look forward to. Um, Kenny, trust me, you are going to have. Anything that somebody out there is looking for, you're going to have something. I've been in this store. I'm going to tell everybody out there, go to the store. You are not, you're going to walk out with a smile on your face. They literally have everything. And even if you just want to go in there and talk toys, they'll know the answers to all your questions. But I'm telling you, you're going to walk out with some purchases because anything you're into it's in the toy department. They have vintage. They have modern. They have every show you grew up with. There's a toy line for it. They've got it. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much. That's, that's high praise. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. And Kenny, I'm just going to ask you to hold on because we are. I, I have to thank you for doing this, but we're going to have you back because I realize we have a thousand more questions for you. So we're going to do a part three with Kenny but until then, this is Brian Hobson for my buddy Kenny at the Toy Department, which all of you please go visit. We'll see you next week.